Remember eight days ago when we celebrated the end of 2020 and anticipated the peace and renewal that 2021 would bring? Yeah, somebody forgot to knock on wood. We are only eight days into this brand new decade, and oh, what a year this week has been. I'm Clay Aiken. It's Friday, January 8th. And when Politicon booked our guest for this week's episode, we were all very excited to have an in-depth discussion with him about America's national security under a new incoming administration and the implications of one of the less talked about headlines at the end of 2020, the unprecedented and massive breach of national security that was the Russian hacking of multiple U.S. federal agencies. Because our guest this week is Malcolm Nance. And Malcolm Nance is indeed one of the most respected authorities on America's national security, a former intelligence officer with the U.S. Navy and an expert in the field of terrorism and cyber warfare. Malcolm's three most recent best-selling books, The Plot to Hack America, The Plot to Destroy Democracy, and The Plot to Betray America, take readers on an in-depth journey through the dangerous warfare being used by America's international enemies to undermine our democracy and the concrete steps that our nation must take to stop it. But three days ago, little did we know that the threat from inside America would rise front and center in the form of terrorism from domestic threats. The first bombardment and overtaking of the United States Capitol building since the British invaded in the War of 1812 has stunned and shocked America. While threats from outside the country still give national security experts like Malcolm Nance cause for grave concern— We're fortunate to have him here to speak with us this week on the threats from without and within. Which threat is more severe and pressing, the domestic division and violence resulting from it, or the infiltration and manipulation coming from our enemies like Russia? Are there ways that the two threats are interrelated? And holy shit, y'all, how the heck are we going to get along? You've done numerous books on the threats from outside. Um, Yeah. You know, the plot to destroy, the, the... Plot to the I can't get them all. Hack, I did put them plot in the to intro, hack America. Plot, plot to, to destroy hack. democracy. Yeah, yeah. But but did you do you think? I mean, is this worse? Is the in, is the inside threat worse than the outside threat? It's always worst. And you know, in in terrorism, we have a saying. Uh, you know, you, when you have these international terrorist attacks, we always say the second attack is an American. So I mean, good good example. Remember nine eleven? They flew airplanes into a building, right? Do you remember the second airplane attack that occurred right after 9/11? No, I don't. That's oh wait, right. was it the ins- but it was the was it the guy with the underwear bomb? No. Oh, it was, was no, you're thinking of uh um no no no, I'm not that kind of plot. I mean, hot, took a plane, flew it into a building. Shut up. Why did I not remember this? Cuz it took, was a couple of weeks later, it was got very low profile. A guy took a private airplane and flew it into a building in Miami. And, and the we, third one was the one in Texas a couple of years later. The guy who flew his airplane filled with fuel into the side of a IRS building in Dallas. And the second attack is always an American. Well, we and well, now they're we setting also, the pace. But is this what is this the second one from? I mean, we have we it's had not, the hack last month, right? They're setting the pace now. Now so, we have a completely different threat, a new order magnitude. But but so they're experts in cyber warfare, like you have spent your life studying and being an expert in, who kind of are on top of what's going on in that world when it comes to internet. Are there not people paying attention to what's on the dark web inside the QAnon world? Like, I know you had to have been asked this question a hundred times this week. Yeah. Why did well, we not which, see it? It was right on Parlor. Yeah. Well, I saw it. <laughs> and everybody that was working with me saw it. Uh, we had been mod- yeah, well, that's different. I think that that's just a lie. I think that uh-huh. uh, that statement that was made by Capitol Hill Police, that they didn't see any threat, they didn't think that it would go to this level. It was all over. It, it was all over Twitter. It was all over Parley, Parler. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, they had um, how to hide your weapons and all sorts of things. Uh, It wasn't just in their dark web. It wasn't just on their Telegram links, although we were monitoring Telegram as well. They have, you know, secure um, signal chat groups and things like that. But the whole thought of occupying the Capitol, that's what they were calling it. You know, stop the steal. Uh, They were come there to occupy D.C. And and it was very clear that they were at least going to make a, a, a 
a demonstration action at the Capitol. But you have to understand something. I base their threat uh, capability off of the indictment against the uh, the Michigan militiamen who were going uh-huh. to kidnap and kill Governor Gretchen Whitmer. And their plot involved going to her house, killing the state police and all her bodyguards, kidnapping her, bringing her to Wisconsin, of all places, and then putting her on a Facebook live feed, trying her as a traitor and executing her on, on live social media. Shut that up. was... <laughs> Like that's yeah. really what they, that's what they, uh. that's what the plot was about. That was the alpha plot. That was the first plot. And they were having some difficulties, including the guy that had turned FBI informant because he didn't want to kill the police because, you know, they're all about the police. Uh-huh. So the second plot, the B plot was that they were trying to gather up 200 armed men uh, to storm the state capitol. They would shut out the police. They'd disarm the police. They would shut out the police. They would let the Republicans go. And then they would start summarily executing all the Democrats on live television. That was the B plot. And my standard shifted right there that all security needs to be prepared to repel that level of assault. Especially because it was Michigan, I think, you know, I don't. Right. It was Michigan where they did actually storm the Capitol building in the summer, isn't it? Well, what they did was they had an armed protest with the state troopers and everything, and they got inside the galleries and everything, which was because it was all legal to do that. Right. Right. Harken back to the Black Panthers with shotguns going into the California State House in the late 60s, right? That's what created California gun bans, right? Black mm-hmm. people with guns. But these guys, you know, with their long rifles shouting in the face of state troopers, all of this was about wearing a mask. I mean, all of it. But this group had decided that she was a tyrant. She needed to be tried and executed. And it involved people from four different states as far away as Delaware. And they were meeting secretly. That was incredibly organized, though, right? Was was what happened... Mm. It was well. It was organized. If they had a plot A and B, right? Right. They were yeah, organized for for a bunch of local yokels. Yeah, it was it was organized in the sense that they got manpower. They met secretly, right. uh, but you know these guys didn't know anything about counterintelligence. They didn't think that one of their members who was in this plot was actually an FBI informant wearing a wire, right? Well, and if you're uh, going to you know, do something like this, you probably ain't that smart in the first place. So, well, I mean. th- that's just it. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're going to kill the governor of Michigan because she asked you to wear a mask, then, yeah, well, you, you know, you're firing on all cylinders. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, but the problem is you can be stupid enough to execute people. You can be yeah. stupid enough to carry out exactly. uh, a simple plan. And, but was Wednesday's hmm. orchestrated to that? I mean, I guess as I'm listening to what you say, it makes me wonder I mean, go on Twitter, go on. I, I, I have, I should probably shouldn't say it. They'll figure out a way to ban me, but I have a parlor account because I'm just curious. I want to know what's being talked about. I'm sure you have uh, a way to look at it too, right? And I yeah. see the stuff and maybe I'm just too naive or want to believe better. I see some of it and it just seems so hyperbolic to me that I think to myself, God, <laughs> they're never going to do something like that. That's stupid. And then Wednesday, I thought, oh shit, well, ooh. is there... There's no excuse for not being prepared because if you're the U.S. Capitol Police and you're the, you know, the bash, the head of, you know, the government, the sergeant at arms there should have been prepared for any contingency. But is there an argument that some of this stuff on social media becomes so hyperbolic that it's hard to know whether a threat is serious or not? No, no. And, And let me tell you how really serious this is. And I have to be honest. I think the news media does not understand the depth of the gravity of this situation, okay? Um, you know, when I was in Iraq, we constantly, when I was at the, uh, the working out of the Republican palace there, we had uh, one morning a dual suicide bombing whose sole function was to blow holes in the gates and try to get assaulters into the, into the Republican palace, try to get other suicide bombs into the palace. The minimal standard for the United States Capitol, with all of our representatives in two Mm -hmm. chambers, their staff, 
should be that the Capitol Hill police should be able to stop any number of rampant people attempting to not just breach the building, but approaching the building. Right. And right. so they thought that, you know, the, the real, you know, I was watching the live feed streams from these people. I had four people watching four different live streams that represented the three, you know, the four areas that the giant crowds were going. And I happened to be lucky enough to stumble on one guy who was on the leading edge. He was like one of the first guys over on the western side of the Capitol where the inauguration is going to be held. And I noticed immediately these guys were young, young. Everybody was in their younger than their mid 30s, mid 20s. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. This is like, you know, what we call MAMs, military aged men, right? Mm -hmm. All with their beards. And I started looking for tactical helmets, right? Guys who had helmets and backpacks. And there were a number of them. But for the most part, the young guys came first. Then came a wave of older guys, right? Vietnam veterans and things right. like that. And then the guys after who, that, who arguably you would sort of expect to see at a Trump rally. Right. More right, so than right. the younger ones up front, right? Yeah, but there was a boatload of younger guys. No, right. And which... then I started seeing I started seeing the helmets and the backpacks. And, you know, and helmets and backpacks indicated to me uh, that there were these QAnon, Boogaloo Boy, uh, not QAnon, the uh, Boogaloo Boy, three proud percenters, boy proud boy type young guys who were in there. And since they couldn't be proud boys in public, all they had to do was put on a Trump hat, and carry their gear in a backpack. And they were the real leading edge to fighting along the Western Portico. And then one guy pops out in tan body armor and a green combat helmet in uh, a face mask. And he had pulls out a knife and he cuts the hoarding leading to the scaffolding that allowed all the people to flow to the left to flank the Capitol Hill police. And they started climbing into the scaffolding over the inauguration area. And I thought, there's your breach. But what I hmm. didn't know was there was another thousand or so people that had flowed all the way to the north side of the Capitol, the side where Union Station is at, and come completely around to the east and then overflowed and filled to the point where they pushed and were pressuring the, the barriers right. uh, I saw that along video. there. And that's where the cops opened the barrier. And I thought, yeah, what, what the <laughs> H is that? Because my initial thought, they're afraid that these people will hurt themselves on the barrier. But on the western side of the Capitol, where the guys in the yellow and black were, the guys who were essentially the ramped up riot guys, they were flashbanging and pepper spraying the hell out of everybody. But the guys on the east were like concierges at a hotel. And I thought, this is all wrong. And, and then uh, my daughter, who works for me, she's my executive assistant, I put her on um, one of the live streams when the people got to the top of the stair and there was one prominent American flag up there on a pole. And I said, the moment that flag disappears, right, I want you to tell me because it means the flag went into the building and they mm -hmm. breached the door. Uh -huh. And about two minutes later, she goes, the flag is moving. Now it's disappeared. And I thought, how did they get into the building? How? How is that humanly possible? People had been climbing on all sides and had been going through the windows, had been going through ledges, smashing all the windows, and then just used mass people power to knock through the doors. And that's where you see the, the video of the one cop, right? And the kind of doors it was wasn't blast doors, right? right the wood, it was right. just emergency doors with the push bar. Mm -hmm. Right. And all you had to do was get somebody in there and push that push bar and the door goes open, which is what happened. And then thousands flowed in. This episode is sponsored by Apostrophe. It's a prescription skincare company for people that are ready to take their acne seriously. So prescription acne treatment really, really works, but it's really hard to get. You've got to take time off work to go see a doctor. You've got to sit in line at the pharmacy for your medications. 
That's all until Apostrophe. Apostrophe makes it easy to see a board-certified dermatologist online where you'll get treated immediately and your medications will be delivered to your home. You got to just simply fill out Apostrophe's online questionnaire about your skin concerns and medical history, then just snap a few selfies, which we're obviously all very good at doing by now, and your dermatologist will get back with you with a customized treatment plan tailored just for you. And the best part about Apostrophe is that it offers both the topical and the oral medication, so you can treat your acne from the inside out and the outside in. And it's private, which is, you know, sort of cool. You've got all these other prescription medication companies for prescriptions that you don't necessarily want to go into the doctor to see. Acne is one of those things that people are very self-conscious about. They don't really want to go to the doctor. They don't want to go out and sit in the waiting room in public when their acne is that bad. This is kind of one of the perfect issues to treat from the privacy of your own home. Um, Apostrophe treats acne, and they can also help you hit your other skincare goals like reducing redness, wrinkles, not that I have any of those, and even dark spots. I kind of do have a few wrinkles, so I'm going to use some apostrophe too. You don't even need to schedule an appointment. It even came with a cute little postcard and stickers to personalize my prescription bottle, and you don't have to go to the pharmacy during COVID to get your treatment. The medicine feels like it's working right from the start, and it's got all the ingredients that we know will work. Get $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash heck and use our code heck. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash heck and click begin visit. Then use the code heck at sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash Heck, and use that code HECK to get your dermatology visit for $15 off, or look for the link in our show notes, and we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. I mean, are, I, don't, I don't like to deal in conspiracies mm. at all, mm. but you are an expert, so I trust you. Do you think that there's a possibility that there was someone within the Capitol, the Capitol Police, who had sympathies for or towards this group? Or how, I mean, answer the question beyond breaking windows. We do see that a few, right. there were a few places where they broke windows, but oh, that's no, not the only way new, they got in. Numerous so, places they broke windows. I mean, they, they were, were some places where they the just exterior. opened them. There were some places right. where they just opened them and got in, like right. you were saying. So, Well, how, they were smashing the exterior of these places. And, and in other places, they opened them from the insides and let people in. I mean, these windows on the first level, on all levels, should have been bullet and blast resistant, right? So how did they do that? So either uh, so either somebody on the inside who was a part of the Capitol Police or, mm, or inside has allowed them in, or this was more organized than we here's, I, imagined. I, I, I think we shouldn't delve into the conspiracy theory. Yeah, I don't like I that think, either. So good. I'm I glad think to you- what happened here was... One part mass people power and another part sympathetic cops. And when I say sympathetic, I think they they meant, oh, these are, you know, guys who were police on Capitol Hill police force who Mm -hmm. are white, who think that this is the way, you know, maybe Trump supporters. The chief, I understand that this Capitol Hill police was a big Trump supporter. And these people just saw them as my people who aren't going to really do anything. They just want to get up on the steps and wave their flags. And I don't have a problem with that. And that's what I think when that one scene, when they were all pushed in a throng against that fence, which by the way, should have had locking bike cables run through it. That's the protocol, right? To establish an unmovable barrier. And uh, I mean, I'm looking at one that's on my garage right now. You think they would have had one. And then people started jumping over and they were just like, oh, Sunday in the park. We got people running through the grass. And then they just opened the barriers. Okay. So those so two right there, we need to determine whether somebody radioed to them, go ahead and let them up on the steps. Because, you know, I had, uh, who was it? Um, uh, Congresswoman Slotkin said, no one's allowed up there. Right. right. So no one comes in through those doors. I want to back up just a hair because mm-hmm. what what it seems like. I'm hearing is certainly there was a degree of 
mass people power that allowed right. them to get past that barricade and up right. on the steps and that there may have been some well they're not going to do anything they're going to they're going to wave the you know but but when you say something like there should have been police there should have been bike lock type stuff to make that barrier stronger that's right. not something that's not a a shortcoming or a oversight or a something that happened as a result of this large crowd that we didn't expect. I, that's I, that's just that's sloppy, not preparation, right? Let, not being let me tell you. Let me tell you that that, that little story about what the minimal standard for mm-hmm. that event was. I want to describe to you the event as it really stood, and this is where I think the media does not understand how deathly serious this was. Mm-hmm. That event on the Capitol Hill that people thought as a just a pro forma, perfunctory drama fest was a joint session of Congress right. with all the senators, mm-hmm. all the congressmen in one room. The along first, second, and third the, in line for the, for, for the presidency, well, right? All actually, sec, second, second, and oh, third. Well, the vice I say, president. I say first because I was first runner up on Idol and it makes me feel better <laughs> to say first. But yes, the next two, the next three people in line and the, and the, the vice president elect as well, who's got Secret Service protection. Of That's course. what it was. Yeah. Vice president, vice president elect, speaker of the House of Representatives. If they had been killed or injured in that event, Donald Trump would have been a monarch that yeah. after, that morning, literally. Well, a monarch. Chuck Grassley would have been, been. Chuck Grassley was the next. Just, the third he's in line. President yeah. pro tem, right? So he could have been right. killed or injured. It literally was that entire event should have been designated a national security event on par with the State of the Union, right? On right. par with the Super Bowl, right? And it would have had. Every resource of the United States government for its protection and defense, they would have surrounded that place with a wall of manpower. Every cop in Washington, And the State of the Union, by the way, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure, listen, they're protesting D.C. every 10 minutes, right? But even for most states of the Union and most uh, joint sessions of Congress when we do that, there are not pre-planned stop the steel rallies <laughs> that we know are happening right so in no, addition to that no. baseline of su- that baseline of security there was well, actually a reason this time to think hmm. i am right and uh, i'm going to get you a, a reason for the absence of security that is please less conspiratorial mm-hmm. but more actionable in terms of seditions so now i'm just trying to characterize this event could have literally decapitated the United States government into part of the executive and the right. entirety of the representative branch of government. Okay? Right. And so... We're talking designated would, survivor type situation here. Yes. Well, the designated survivor would have been the president of the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who had... <laughs> who was probably in a bunker people, somewhere, right? <laughs> who had these people been incapacitated, killed, or injured, would have literally left the United States government as a monarchy that day that afternoon. Now, I have put this out there of who was present, what was going on. These people breached this facility. And it appeared based on the way that I saw the Secret Service, not Secret Service, Capitol Hill Police. I've been in that building many times, but I've always been through, right, at least eight guys manning the exterior checkpoint and the magnetometers before you can get through there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, many of those guys have been called down to the Western Portico where the real fighting was going on, right? That was where the mace, pepper balls, everything was being displayed. It appeared that on the east side and the north side, it was like a Monday morning with two guys at every door, as opposed to 150 to 200 arrayed in phalanxes across the curb so that no one could approach the, the driveways to the building at all. So they let these people wrap around the entire building and then massed people power drove right through them. Here's my problem, okay? The minimum standard for a national security event like that is that people who are not armed will come to the facility, will create a human action, and within them, after they breach your facility, Within them will be what we call a murder cell. 
or a kill or mm-hmm. capture team. And these are guys who You're gonna are have to watching. Yeah. These are people who are watching for the breach and then will flow in with the civilians, but they have a mission. And that mission is to isolate whoever their target is, like Nancy Pelosi or Kamala Harris, and to kill or capture and kill them, or to come in as a murder cell with the distinct event to kill law enforcement, take their weapons, and create an armed action within the facility. So let so, me play. Let me play devil's yeah. advocate for a second, just because I'm. <laughs> what what was the Obviously, what you say is should be a baseline. I, I don't think anybody baseline. in America should should disagree with you at this point. But we do this electoral count process every four years. And to my knowledge, I can't remember ever seeing it on a major network because it tends to be a 30-minute process right. that doesn't get objected to or if it, you know, there's no so what was what was security like four years ago? Do we know? Is this what was what they yeah, did but, on Wednesday pretty much the same as what they have done yeah, every four I, years? I think it was I think that they were going by what was usual. And what right. I'm trying to describe to you is not what is usual. It's what should be the minimum standard. I don't care if there are a thousand Shriners out in front of that place. If they all storm a single security checkpoint, right, an entry control point, and breach through there, and then guys who are standing off to the side with backpacks, with with guns and grenades and Molotov cocktails, flow behind them to the point where no one can stop them. That should be the minimum standard of security to stop an assault at that level, no matter what day of the week it is, no matter what day of the year it is. Yeah. But I mean, I I, listen, I don't disagree with you at all. And I don't think, like I said, anybody in America should disagree with you right now, but isn't this an ongoing problem that the country has? We are not necessarily proactive. We don't fix bridges until they've fallen. We don't fix, you know, we don't address cybersecurity until there's been a hack or a breach. We don't, I mean, this is not necessarily a new thing, is it? This is, we we aren't proactive. We don't put the money up to do these security things until, uh, we don't think about security for Congress members until Gabby Giffords is shot, right? You know, that's insane. If, no, if I'm going to agree, disagree with you at no, all, but well, it shouldn't just, surprise us because it's something we do. But, we, we're just but not we, you sh- But you shouldn't have to wait until ISIS or Al-Qaeda uh, assaults the Capitol <laughs> after, hold on, after <laughs> watching- amen. I agree with you. <laughs> af- after watching two movies, one with Gerard Butler- about how to attack the White House, right? I mean, so I'm, listen, not... you're absolutely right. The, Hollywood has <laughs> Hollywood should have prepared us for all of these things. I agree with I'm you. I'm going to tell you something. That scenario could easily have been the Proud Boys breaching right. that building precisely like that right after they flowed through there. And there could have been, as I said on Joy Reid last night, the single largest hostage barricade in the history of the United States and a mass execution of all of our elected representatives. You know why? Do you know why the the security got beefed up or not? How should I put it? That there was an emergency response to what was going on? It wasn't because Steady Hoyer was calling the governor of Maryland. It was because Mike Pence's secret service detail had to have put out a vice president in distress call to the Secret Service Operations Center which should have mobilized every effing gun in Washington, D.C., including the Marine Barracks at 8th and I, Fort Myers Military Police, and every armed federal officer in the city. It didn't. It didn't. Someone did not view that situation where the vice president's Secret Service detail was forced to draw arms. When you get Mm -hmm. to the Secret Service has drawn weapons and has created a 360 degree protective circle around the vice president, you have a national security emergency. Absolutely. somebody, Somebody thought, no, it's not. I think I speak for all of us when I say I've searched for a few things online that I wouldn't want other people knowing about. I mean, 
I mean, come on, we've all done that. <laughs> Even if it was just my press uh, during my congressional run or reviews of shows and whatnot, I don't want everybody knowing what I'm looking for. Um, above all, our right to privacy is very important. We know that now. I know most of you are probably thinking, why don't you just use incognito mode? Well, I got to tell you something. Incognito mode does not hide your activity. It just doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history. Incognito mode doesn't hide that stuff. Your internet service provider can still see every single website you've ever visited, and so can the Russians. That's why, <laughs> even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter if you get your internet from Verizon or Comcast or another internet service provider. In the U.S., they can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through its secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on. It just runs seamlessly in the background, and so it's easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you are protected. ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, phones, computers, tablets, even your smart TV actually too. So there's no excuse for you to not be using it. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Visit our exclusive link expressvpn.com slash heck and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash heck. Expressvpn.com slash heck to learn more or look for the link in our show notes. So, but we got two issues here, right? We got being proactive to get to that. We should have been at the baseline right. to begin with. But, and, but again, I think that's just a national problem we have. We're not good at it and hopefully they'll get we better are. at it soon. But we've got, I mean, we'll hopefully have some time in a minute to talk about Russia, et cetera. We've, sure. we've not been proactive with that either. But, but <laughs> so, but this, this second problem, this reactive problem, which I mean, in, in, in as much as, even the reaction wasn't enough. Even right. the reaction wasn't enough. Who's, I'm gonna where, explain. Wh- whose I'm, fault is that? I'm going to explain why. Please. And you're not going to like it. You're not going to like it one day. I haven't liked much in the past year, so <laughs> bring it. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you. I mean, I've, I've been working in counterterrorism well over three and a half decades. I have been all over the place. I have been inside the blast radius of multiple suicide bombers. I have seen assaults and breaches and mass gunmen running rampant through hotels. Uh, a friend of mine was executed uh, while sleeping at a UN hotel in, in Kabul, you know? And everybody thought that they were going to the diplomatic compound. No, they were going to the UN hotel. And they killed effing everybody that they found who was Western. You know, you think that we would know this and that the capital would be a potential scenario for a Gerard Butler movie, right? Right. With North Koreans breaching the place. Um, Here's what the problem was. Donald Trump called that rally. And the entire structure of the United States government viewed that rally as friendly. Hmm. Okay. Donald Trump was at that rally. So the president of the United States drives over to speak in front of a crowd of what's now estimated to be 40 to 50,000 people, which means a security corridor across the ellipse and to the back of, you know, the area around the Lincoln Memorial had to have been created for him. For him, right. There not, should have been not enough. Not the Capitol building for him, right. Right. So all of these resources of the United States government that should have been in place for a rally of that size, right? That magnitude, Mm -hmm. they weren't put in place. They weren't put in place because the entirety of the security infrastructure of Washington, DC, that was managed by the executive branch, that was managed by the Capitol Hill police chief, the Sergeant at arms and uh, everybody except the Metropolitan Police Department of, of Washington, D.C., because they're, a, prepared. they're an independent jurisdiction. They cannot right. tell everything that happens on the Capitol Hill and the park and the mall and the has mall. nothing to do with Washington, D.C. until you call them to come and assist 
and provide perimeter security or extra manpower or intersection control and things like that. And they weren't called until, they weren't called for a long time, were they? They weren't called until the building was completely breached and they were called in to disperse, right? And then within an hour, because Capitol, you know, Capitol Hill Police is the ninth largest police force in the United States. Did you know that? They're t- oh, no, I assumed that they were smaller than they, oh, I did not realize they're that big. 2,300 men. Oh, shit. They are not almost yes, not Wednesday. <laughs> they are almost, no, because they only had the guys from the day shift on. Mm-hmm. They didn't mobilize for a national security event. What they was would going have on had with the Pentagon? Watch sections. Where well, was the, the Pentagon's, national- a complete, com- Pentagon's a completely different animal. <laughs> okay, they're across yeah, the river. But but where were there? What what were they not? The National Guard was not called in until well, Larry because, Hogan. Well, that's not entirely true either. Okay. This is the Larry Hogan was called because people were calling from um, calling from the Capitol when they were under siege. And I don't think I don't think oh God, it's mind boggling. This really upsets me. Okay, because I have been in armed in extremist situations. Where we're the guns and no one's coming to our aid, right? And you're calling on the radio. Do you have any gunships? Do you have any helicopters? Um, you know, and it's just like, we're going to duke it out, boys. Well, if you're in the well of the House of Representatives and your power is to exercise the authority of getting people to come and assist in a cross-state environment, and the governor of, 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 of Maryland is going, I don't have the authority. Hey, you know what? I will go and flow those people to you and authority will come when they arrive, right? Mm. What This is why the response was so horrific and why this could have turned into a national bloodbath, okay? Because people put up their structures, people put up their protocols and people put up, with exception of Mike Pence's and Kamala Harris's and Nancy Pelosi's secret service details, right? They went, they called away in an emergency it well, was they responded were the ones, to they were the only ones who were ba- vaguely prepared in any way Man. they they're trained for those things for those to, when, for, for the vice president and the vice president elect i want to emphasize this again when the secret service draws all weapons and goes 360 degree pr- protection on the vice president of the united states you have a national security emergency national what it, security what does I it mean, tell you about the motivations of these terrorists, which I think everybody's well, calling them that, when well, when they were looting, I mean, they were leaving yeah. notes, and they, and and I'll tell you, to tell you the thing that blows my mind the most is they were videotaping themselves doing it. Everybody had a camera, almost no shame to it at all, as if they didn't even realize they were breaking the law. You know, they, it's going to be the easiest investigation to find these folks because Instagram's already found them all from well, their own pictures. So and what I does that tell some, you about their motivation? Did they just not think they were doing anything wrong? I know several of them personally, including a guy Oof. named uh, Matt Gregoire, who goes by the handle of Baked Alaska, who three years ago at Politicon Pasadena, mm. I warned him on camera, do not move from being a blogger into extremism. And he did it at Charlottesville mm. and got pepper sprayed in the eye or bear sprayed in the eye, almost lost his eye. He was in Nancy Pelosi's office. Well, on Wednesday is about to be cooked. Um, so I just want to hold on. I just want to make one more point before I answer your question, because this is uh, I'm trying to work you guys up into a frenzy of holy cow. This is way worse than we even know. Well, I um, think we're getting, reason, you're getting me there. <laughs> but the reason the reason that this was so dangerous is because the presumption of all levels of the United States government was that white Trump protesters are allies and they won't do anything. Right. Well, now we see what they mass did. murder could have occurred in that building. And I suspect there were murder cells in there. I suspect there were people who thought if they caught Nancy Pelosi, they would right. strip her and beat her to within an inch of their mm-hmm. life of her life, if not actually kill her. Because you know what? Possible. I've I've been in the middle of a mob, once in India, once in Baghdad. And a mob is not human beings. 
Right. Okay? It's a mob. They, they, we saw what they did to Muammar Gaddafi, right? I mean, it right. was that's what they would probably would have ended up doing. But yeah, let me but let me Gaddafi needed to get that. Well, fair well, enough. I'm just saying, he <laughs> he, was, he was actually he was actually in a military action. He wasn't in a mob. Ceausescu, all right, was in a mob. Or right? Nikolai Ceausescu, you know, where they dragged him out, stripped him and beat them. These people, when they get into a mob action, they will do anything. So, what did they think they were doing? I think they were doing what they all had been saying to each other for weeks and weeks and weeks. They were going to take over the capital and they were going to take back the government of the United States and install Donald Trump as president. Lord help us. Okay, well, let me ask you this, though. So I'm worked into a frenzy <laughs> because I feel it. And, and I was already upset beforehand. But getting worked up into a frenzy isn't helpful unless there's something productive that comes out of it. So what do you think? Congress, the executive branch, I mean, let's presume that it's not going to happen in the next two weeks because we mm -hmm. won't necessarily have a functioning executive branch until the next administration. But what do you think the first things that need to be done, not just, by the way, to secure the Capitol building, because obviously those baselines we've talked about, but to right. address this type of uprising and this type of uh, you know, because they're not going to go away. They're going to still be online, uh, fomenting rage and right. perhaps ready to to protest and mob at the inauguration or the State yeah. of the Union or whatever the next thing is. What do you think right. the first thing that needs to be done by the next administration and the incoming Congress to try to be proactive about this instead of having to react should be? <clears throat> well, first off, uh, there needs to be a national intelligence shift at the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, and if you have to, create a, uh, a National Guard-based um, uh, intelligence support cell that will report directly to the Department of Homeland Security. And I'm afraid to say it, that, you know, the U.S. military cannot help here. The National Security Agency, where I work, I'm going to tell you something, despite what Edward Snowden says, when we would accidentally stumble onto something that was American, I'm going to tell you personally, hands off the terminal, call the lawyers. We don't care oh. about your emails. We don't care about monitoring you. We have foreign enemies that want to harm us. So we but don't necessarily have something in place, you're saying, to, to monitor no, this stuff that, internally. But the people that do, who have statutory authority inside the United States are the FBI, FBI. the Department of Homeland Security, mm -hmm. and, the, and state in, in state uh, police agencies. But and what do they have do, the systems in place to do it effectively? Sure, sure. You know how? Okay, how do you think they were rolling up on individuals and throwing them in the back of minivans in If Seattle? I knew the answers to these, Malcolm, I wouldn't need you. That's why you're here. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they were using things like, you know, they were using things like Stinger airborne uh, location, cell phone location devices. Uh, and this is aircraft that fly over the city and create patterns and maps out the locations of high value uh, cell phones. That's common knowledge. I mean, once they're in D.C., the but internet. what do you do before they Not get there? Like, how do you stop them? Well, you do you do law and LEO intelligence and you transform the joint terrorism task force around the United States, augment them 100 percent and tell them their mission is now 75 percent American uh, insurgents or insurrectionists, 25% ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and you leave, you know, you you make the JTTFs go out and start doing their job. Do you know what the, the Joint Terrorism Task Forces have been doing over the last year uh, that, um, that was a mission that no one thought about? It was that they were going and stopping kids that were going on social media and threatening to go shoot their schools. And JTTFs saw that as a terroristic threat, and we're going and doing in you know interviews of these kids. Well, fair, fair in the sense that that's the thing that we've reacted to recently. Those have been ah. the things in the news that we've seen, and we've all recognized. Mm -hmm. Oh, we this sure. is something we need to stop. And, but and they've now spent their time on that instead of focusing on what perhaps because is even a bigger cause. Militiamen, internal insurrectionists, budding self-radicalized individual, um, you know, proud boys. Boogaloo boys, all these people, you're still American citizens with rights, okay? But as a collective, we can still do preventive law enforcement interviews and intelligence collection, but you have to assume 
that it's a threat. And the reason that they don't assume that they're a threat is because they're white guys with guns. Well, hopefully that changes on January 20th and we have a different. That's, that, well, it's going to have to, it's going to have to change this morning right. because I've already started putting out tweets uh, that they're saying they're coming back on the 19th and they're bringing guns. So that means the mall in its entirety from Pennsylvania Avenue, all the way down to the, to the, to the yacht basin, all the way to the Lincoln Memorial and Memorial Bridge needs to be closed to pedestrians. Okay, so let me ask you a, a question from, I mean, mm. completely ignorance. Sure. I don't even know who the attorney general is right now. So <laughs> let's assume that this, let's assume that this particular administration that will be in place on January 19th, um, mm. we've already heard word that the Trump's plan on evacu- leaving town by the 19th. Um Let's assume that the administration in place right now doesn't prepare for what you're talking about as a possibility on the 19th. You mean deliberately, who, like they did on Wednesday? Because that was well, my first well, or, or, or just or, whether it's deliberately or just passively, because no one at the top of the Justice Department on the 19th, whoever that is, tells them to be prepared. It, are, are there are there people in Congress who can make decisions to say? I mean, there's no there's no mechanism for Congress to instruct the Justice Department, the the all of these counter right. All the there's no mechanism for them to enact those resources. Right, it's going to have right. to come from the Justice Department on the 19th to do well, that. Right. I. I think, yes, you're absolutely right. All of those agencies still have statutory authority right up till 12 noon, right? 12 noon on the day of the inauguration. And then they fall under the authority of, of, uh, of, of Joe, President Joe Biden at one minute past noon. Um, however, so what if, what if Trump have, just says, screw it? I don't care. Let him, I mean, I'm out and yeah, I don't want you to, to tell him to do anything. There's career officers there. Who are not going to let that happen? Let me tell you, I was a I mean, watchstander. I, I want to believe you, but damn it, Malcolm, you got me worked up now. So what the hell <laughs> you expect? The problem <laughs> is those career officers can't mobilize resources. Remember in Lafayette Square, all of those armed cops and everything that were there. Donald Trump ordered the Attorney General to mobilize Bureau of Prison Special Response Forces. He brought in Bureau of Prison cops from dozens of prisons all over the United States because they're riot trained. BATF, FBI hostage rescue team, every armed cop within shouting. But only the president can do that is what you're saying. No, the attorney general could do it. The acting attorney general could do it. But if this administration and anybody decides they're not going to take preparations for this inauguration, you can actually try them. You can charge them criminally. Ah, the, okay. So the there's the answer that by I'm the looking new for. Attorney General. Okay, yeah. that's what I was trying to get to. That there is yeah, a they, there is recourse their, to make they us violate feel more their comfortable. Oath. They violate their oath, and they took deliberate or or negligent actions. If someone gets injured or hurt or killed, negligent homicide. If now that is that is clear for something like the inauguration, but I'm I'm still stuck on uh, the fact that the 19th is not the inauguration. Maybe someone could make the argument: Well, we were prepared for the inauguration, but we weren't prepared for the day before it. So uh, tragedy here's could some, strike with with them being able to make a uh, claim ignorance. Here, right? Here's something that can happen that is within the jurisdiction of an entity that is not beholden to Donald Trump. Mayor Muriel Browser, who mm-hmm. I hope this year becomes Governor Browser, mm-hmm. Bowser, um, who is no one to be messed with. Okay, uh, she is serious as a heart attack. She could just work it out with the Capitol Hill police and say, "Okay, here's what we're going to do: we are going to establish a perimeter along Constitution Avenue. Right, the left side, the south side of the street is yours; the north side of the street is ours, going all the way down to Second uh, Street Southwest." And cutting down Second Street Southwest and going to the waterfront, and no one is going to be allowed to cross our perimeter, which means you'd have to cross the Potomac uh, on a boat. Well, I hope you've called her, Malcolm. Are you gonna Are you gonna be involved in the Biden administration in any way? No, to to come help with these ideas because you know you've already got it planned. (laughs) I'll tell you what is that you know um, 
if, if they want my help, they can uh, they can give me an ambassador, a counterterrorism ambassadorship to Mali or someplace, <laughs> someplace where I can I can really help. But you know, it's interestingly. You oh know, wait, I, you I, said Mali, not Bali. M- Molly. Oh, <laughs> oh well, they, that's not, that's Molly is not a, is, I was thinking you wanted to go to somewhere beautiful and gorgeous. You're talking about getting into the, the thick of it. You want yeah, to go into well, the thick of it. I'll tell you an interesting story real quick. My wife, my late wife who passed last year was a brilliant landscape architect and she was the landscape architect of the city of Washington, DC. And she oh, was after nine 11 brought into the uh, planning commission uh, for the protection of uh, of infrastructure in D.C., including putting up hoarding, bollards, uh, emergency personnel, stopgaps, all of these things. Uh, and she took part in helping create the barriers and the pop-up barriers and little things that you wouldn't notice, like hoarding and and uh, what they call haw-haws. These are those mm-hmm. knee-high little steps oh, yeah. that you have to take up around the Washington Monument now. Uh-huh. That's an anti-vehicle barrier, and it's uh, designed to make running people slow down and stop and get shot. It's right? proactive. It's proactive, it, right? Well, she so was I'm glad she was doing that. Someone needed yeah, to. <laughs> she was actually recruited to go to the city of Abu Dhabi, and we lived in Abu Dhabi for ten years, where she did the same thing. And after every major terrorism incident, they'd bring people together from this major contracting company she worked for, and they would say. Or we, we need to make a change based on this terrorist attack, like the London vehicle attacks, for example. They put personnel controls in on like every major sidewalk. But in the Middle East, they could do it in a week. They'll say, okay, here's a billion dollars. Right. Get it done <laughs> next week and, and, and overcharge us and deliver it six months late. So we know we're getting quality. Washington does not work that way. It doesn't move at all. <laughs> they, you know what? You know what? There's a joke that I made this morning when I was talking to my friend Avid Jamali. I said, you know what was at the top of the Capitol? Probably four teams of, of, of Capitol Hill police holding shoulder-fired surface-to-air missiles, looking down at the riot coming in, attacking the building, and thinking, well, maybe we should have planned for this one. Because there's, you know, they plan for airplane coming to crash into the Capitol, right? Right. And one wonders wonders what could happen while they're busy looking down. Yeah. Oh, geez. I don't even want to think about it. Well, (laughs) we need you to think about it, Malcolm. You're the guy who thinks about these things. Always thinking about this stuff. (laughs) I want to move on. Well, I'm going to get, so there's a project. There's a task for you to think about uh, later. I want to move on to our uh, quick fire questions. We got a lot of them in before Wednesday from listeners who wanted to um, ask uh, you a specific question. Um, You can send them in if you're listening. Uh, You can send them for our guests either via Twitter or Instagram at Politicon or email them podcasts at Politicon. Dot com. Um, so some of them are not going to be about uh, specifically what happened at the sure. at the Capitol building this week, but I wanted to talk a little bit about international, so we use this as an opportunity. Um, someone, uh, Mickey from Minnesota, is a proud mother of a U.S. Air Force Intel Airman stationed in Germany. Oh. She, she asks, since I'm sure Trump right. has compromised the security of our soldiers here and around the globe many times in the past four years, how can the new administration begin to fix this? Well, very simple, and it's going to take place on the 19th. That's the um, that's the uh, confirmation hearing of uh, General Austin, the uh, who for Secretary of Defense. Let me tell you something. Uh, for all the whining that people in the progressive left are doing about, oh, we don't need another general. Guess what? You need this general <laughs> because Why? our national security has been a catastrophe this last four years. For all of the big talk and pumping up the defense budget, $300 billion, it's not just money being wasted. There is no centralized strategy that actually emanated from the White House other than let's piss off all of our NATO allies. Let's pull out of our central strategic logistics hub in Europe out of Germany. And let's entertain the idea of moving to a place called Camp Trump in Poland, right? And then let's surrender all of our Middle Eastern influence that we have built up since the 1940s and give it to Russia, right? Is we that the fault the of United the general uh, who's who's the chair of the joint? Ch- I mean, is that their fault or nope. is that just the fact that they have to do what the president tells them to do? 
it's the fact that the president and his crazy staff has seriously damaged the national security of the United States. And, you know, let me tell you something. When Donald Trump wanted Lafayette Square cleared, two days before he made a phone call with uh, the governors and General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, happened to be there, uh, along with Secretary of Defense Esper. And Trump went on this rant where he goes, this is General Milley. This is General Milley. He's a tough guy. He's a tough guy. You're going to be hearing a lot about him. He's going to be clearing all this out. General Milley was like, whoa, dude, that's not my job. (laughs) Okay, my job is to defend America against, you know, people landing on the coast, you know, the Chesapeake coast and uh, marching up and setting fire to the Capitol, you know, to defend the United States abroad with its armed forces, not to be used in the United States. Donald Trump had no clue. Mm. That's how the armed forces worked four (laughs) years into his administration. So the new Secretary of Defense, General Austin, having been a, a, a general who will now be Mr. Austin, the Secretary of Defense, will realign our strategic alliances, our posture overseas abroad, give our beleaguered soldiers a break, put personnel where they need to go, rein in all the money Donald Trump dumped on his friends uh, as defense contracts and give some semblance of a strategy about how the United States will view itself in the world. And then we'll listen to the experts on the National Security Council who will not be lining their pockets uh, to go on to Fox News and get a Chiron headline, right? Mm. Uh, That's what the Trump team was. People who wanted to be think tankers after Donald Trump. Those days are over. We go back to normal now in, you know, protecting America. Let's hope there's time and there's not much damage that it can't be fixed. Craig from Tacoma, right. Washington, asks, asks a question that goes along those lines. He asks, okay. has the political divide in the country made it into the rank-and-file armed forces? And if mm. so, how much should that concern us? No. And I'm going to tell you why, okay? Um, all young soldiers, right, who are about 24 years old and below, they're all stupid. <laughs> okay, oh, I'm God. saying okay. that. I'm saying that <laughs> as I was a Navy senior chief petty officer, my job was my job as middle enlisted management, just one step below, you know, sergeant major. I was equivalent to a first sergeant or marine, uh, you know, uh, master gunnery sergeant. Uh, their job, our job, was to recalibrate stupid, and everybody who who is young and new in the armed forces, they're stupid. Okay, <laughs> but after time. You start growing into your job. You start becoming more mature. You make E5, you make sergeant or E6, staff sergeant or first class petty officer. And this is across the board in the armed forces. But when you're an E1, an E2, an E3, and an E4, which is just like the basic seaman, sailor, soldier, you're a dope. And you don't know anything about politics. That being said, Donald Trump's approval rating in the armed forces is about 33 to 36%. Okay. And I'm Mm going to tell you right now, his disapproval rating was 48% last time I checked. Because here's what people in the military who are careerists don't want. They don't want to be sent away from their families for no reason, just to posture. If there's not a mission behind it, they're going to be pissed. They don't want anybody messing with their family's health care, like TRICARE. They don't want uh, people stopping their pay raises for political purposes. And here's the most important factor. When you get to the the E5 and above level, the sergeant and above level, you cannot tolerate idiots. Right. And we can also not tolerate incompetence because it will kill us. Right, right. Someone's stupidity. So we have this finely tuned stupid meter. And one of the (laughs) things. And it's pinging real hard. Yeah, when that (laughs) bad boy pings hard, when it pings hard, I come into the picture a Navy chief or a Marine gunnery sergeant or an Air Force master sergeant. And you know what happens? We start doing the time honored, uh, time honored duty of recalibration. Well, the problem bring on is, the recalibration. What happens when the commander in chief is an incompetent idiot? We see it immediately. We can't do anything about it, 
but we won't respect it. And we definitely will, you know, reject it. So that's why they hate Donald Trump. The man's a moron and the armed forces knows it. Well, you won't get any argument here. Helen from San Diego asks, is democracy advancing anywhere anymore? Well, it is. It will in a couple of weeks. Uh, That seems to be, I feel like that's going to be the answer to the rest of these. (laughs) I mean, there's so much that we have to just wait two more weeks on. A very, very serious retraction in democracy here in the United States in the last four years. You now see that one man can destroy American democracy, 244 years of it. Donald Trump will be considered, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. I actually had Andrew Sullivan get mad at me and call me a conspiracy theorist and a fabulist because I said Donald Trump was like Benedict Arnold. No, Benedict Arnold served our nation honorably before he became a traitor. So Donald Trump's not at all like him and actually was a competent commander. Um, No, Donald Trump, I promise you this, because how he so damaged this country, he will have a black shroud over his presidential portrait in the White House. Oh, good Lord. Well, wouldn't that be something? Um, we don't have time for uh, but one more, but I wanna, I'm going to ask okay. this because it's, uh, it's, I think Danielle from Jacksonville, Florida is about to make a life decision of some kind okay. here. And she asks, what branch of the service would you recommend? <laughs> what do you want to do? I mean, you know, you want to shoot things and go bang? Join the Army. Uh, you know, what I like about the Army now is that women have real equal opportunity in the Army. Uh, you know, they can, they can try out for, for just about anything. Uh, the Marines, uh, if you want a tough life, you feel like you want to be, you know, hard super soldier, go be a Marine. Uh, there's, there's every job, the armed forces has every job. If you want a cushy life where you hang out at the cafeteria and, you know, go to the commissary and the exchange all the time and sleep in the space force. No, you join the air force. (laughs) Oh, there won't be a space force in a couple of weeks. It'll be back under the air force. But you know, if, if you want to travel, really travel, then you join the Navy. Right. But it depends on the job. Figure out what career field you want to go into first. I was in the Navy. I was a cryptologist, a code breaker. We have them in every service. The air force ride around these great aircraft and you know, you you can be in the intelligence world. I'm a big recruiter for the intelligence world. You might notice. Well, there you so, go, Daniel. Um, Daniel, you know your answer: intelligence. There will there will all like the post office with uh, you know military uh, intelligence people. There will always be a job when you get out. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. The last question, which we ask everyone, sure. and this week more mm-hmm. than anything, I think we desperately need to know an answer for our country and our sanity. Okay. Malcolm, how the heck are we going to get along? I'm afraid, you know, I'm a bit optimistic that, you know, the the guys who just with a white hot passion hate Joe Biden and are calling him a a member of the Chinese Communist Party and Beijing Joe, in about a year are going to realize that he is just like as dull as dishwater. You don't hear from him. Um, My problem is, is that Donald Trump is about to launch an insurgency in this country where he fully intends to keep this country split. But I think over time, um, his extremism is going to put off the 65% of the country that won't tolerate it anymore. And that just started yesterday. And I think people will be shamed, you know, into their own positions to start rethinking or whether, are you a patriot? Are you, you know, they call themselves patriots, by the way, because they all think that they're fighting the, you know, the the Cubans in Red Dawn. (laughs) They're all Wolverines. Hmm. Um, A real patriot is someone that just goes to work. And, you know, we're not destroying the government. We're going to give you health care. We're not turning America over to China. No, we're just, here's your $2,000 check. We're destroying the coronavirus with a full all of government effort. We're going to make America healthy again. And, you know, America will recover. But so long, you know, and then I think people will just reject the extremism. And there is no extremism on the left. There is not, you know, the far, far right is now the center of the right. It's Trumpism, it's QAnon. That will all be seen as the craziness that it is. 
and the mainstream of America will start firing people from their jobs and calling them Karen in the street and people will be shamed. And they'll say, hey, maybe I need to start embracing the e pluribus unum from many one. Well, I do hope at the very least in the next two weeks that some of this hatred has to go a little bit more underground and people aren't as proud of what of their hatred and i hope that there are lots of people like you malcolm who are still paying attention to what's happening underground and keeping us safe so um malcolm nance uh your latest book the plot to betray america although i have to say i really hope that you do a book soon about the threats from inside america because your your books plot to hack america plot to destroy democracy plot to betray america are fascinating but i hope that soon we get an announcement about something in terms let me give you a little hint. I have a new book coming out in a couple of months. I've been writing for four months about the coming Trump insurgency, the internal well, I am, So your wish I'm gonna is granted. Sit wrapped. So as soon as you guys announce it, we'll make sure that people um, on this podcast know about it too, because I'm gonna ready for it and we need it. So thank you so much, Malcolm, for joining My us this pleasure. week. And, uh, and pl- please keep your eyes open for us. We need it. <laughs> And we'll see you guys all here next week on How the Heck Are We Going to Get Along. Thank you again, Malcolm. I appreciate it. That was, I mean, you did get me riled up. You made, you succeeded. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just wanted you to know how serious it was. Yeah, I believe it. Well, keep telling everyone and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Okay, take care, guys. Bye-bye.